Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 558 on Tuesday, the 19th of December, 2023. Hello, I'm Andrew. And once more, we have a solo show, I'm afraid, but this time the solo is me. And this week, I'll be seeing how one region thinks you don't need to add a tax to help make clean air. In new new car news, we look at practical EVs. And in points of interest, we try to work out which is the best police car to get nicked in. But first, we have some follow-up. And we're going to start with Cruz. And GM has concluded their internal investigation, or analysis, and they have decided as a result of this that they're going to dismiss nine executives, including the chief operating officer, and running across departments such as legal, government affairs and commercial operations, as well as the safety and systems division of crews. We talked about this when the pausing of everything came up and crews stepping in to say, right, we're having an investigation, etc., etc. One of the crisis PR 101 steps is Get rid of a bunch of people who are associated with it. And uh, hopefully these people had something to do with the poor way in which the company appears to have been run in terms of safety and transparency and all the rest of it. But now we're going to see lots of statements from GM and from the new cruise exec team, whoever that is, whatever that looks like, because there's a lot of questions about that, but I'll come into that in a moment. But there will be lots of discussions about oh, we're going to be fully transparent and we will be rebuilding trust and blah, 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 blah. Uh, Your mileage may vary in how much you wish to believe or not of that. I questioned what crews would look like is because it was also announced last week that they are going to uh, make 24% of the workforce redundant. That's about 900 people, but they're in non-engineering roles. That, hmm. That doesn't sound good from a we-are-going-to-be-back-up-and-running point of view. Maybe Cruise gets amalgamated into GM and they just look at how to do ADAS or driver assistance stuff rather than the full driverless technology. Uh, who knows? We, we will obviously be keeping an eye out for this and we will keep you updated, but it really doesn't look good for Cruise, which is understandable looking at the track record. And the next bit of follow-up is from France, and this is to do with the subsidies for EVs and the rules changing over those. The French government is now including how environmentally friendly the production of the cars is as well. And as a result, which will shock no one at all who's been paying even the remotest bit of attention, that no Chinese-built EVs, no matter for who, which any company, do not make the list of the <laughs> of the cars that from the 1st of January 2024 will be eligible for the revised subsidies. I will have a link in the show notes to an Electrive article that goes on to uh, run over the history of this. Uh, and it is interesting how the French government, who are desperately trying to be the EV manufacturing powerhouse of Europe uh, at the moment, Uh, how they have decided that Chinese-built vehicles are are not built in as environmentally a friendly manner as the French require. Yes, not political at all. 
Moving back to Britain, though, and we return to the wiggly lines of Clevedon Seafront. <laughs> Last time we talked about this, we said how they, uh, the local council was setting up an independent inquiry into this to work out if the system needed changing, what mistakes had been made, uh, what can they do going forward, etc., etc. And from the result of this, it has been decided to reinstate some of the diagonal parking spaces on the seafront, but that has meant that basically everybody's going to be unhappy. So they're going to obliterate the cycle lane that had been created and put the car parking spaces back over that. Over that. But then you've got the people who didn't want any of it anyway who are unhappy because there's still going to be some sort of system. And it's just effectively, I think they've managed to make everybody unhappy completely. On top of that, the council is having to investigate and quietly ask Active Travel, who originally funded the scheme, which cost over a million pounds, whether they have to return that money if they do make the changes they are uh, going to look to do. And on top of that, irrespective of whether Active Travel will say, well, actually, you voided what we agreed, so give us back our money. You've then got the problem, that, or the council has the problem, they're trying to work out how they're going to pay for the changes anyway, let alone repaying. It's just a giant mess. And as Alan said, I think the second time we discussed this story, if you look at the original concept, it is nothing like what has been executed. And the original concept looked like it could have worked and it would have achieved the target, but it has been meddled with and fussed and obviously gone through committees and been watered down and is a shadow of its former self. So it doesn't do anything for anybody except for just antagonise most people, I think. So that's good local government work. Well done. Right, and now we go into new news. And I will start with the EU Parliament voting in favour of bringing in the Critical Raw Materials Act. It hasn't been brought into place yet. They've just voted in favour of it. This is all about securing, as the title would hint at, securing critical raw materials for things such as uh, electric car batteries. Essentially, it's everybody realising that you need supply chain security, and this is one of the elements that would that does leave them exposed massively at the moment and why there's tensions with China, particularly over uh, electric cars, as we see with France in that follow-up item. And they've uh, had a big discussion over recycling. It was originally going to be at least uh, plus 10% volume using 2020 to 2022, which was a bit suspicious because 2020 and 2021 were very messed around. But anyway, but now that is going up to requirement of 45% of the strategic raw material in the EU's waste. And that has to be in place by 2030. There's a lot of work on recycling, but this is that circular economy we've talked about many times on here. If you would like to know what makes up the critical and strategic raw materials, there is a list at the bottom of the article, or partway through the article, as ever, linked in the show notes. But unsurprising, the EU has suddenly realised, hang on, we need to look after all this stuff and not be held potentially to ransom by one or two countries, which is where they're at with, well, certainly with EV battery material. 
I will now take us to the US and Tesla. They have been uh, ordered to do a recall on their autopilot software thanks to the NHTSA expanding their investigation. Now, Tesla is going to handle this recall by doing an over-the-air software update. That is still a recall, no matter what some of the more ardent fans and fundamentalists of that brand would have you believe. An update is still an update. This update has essentially, it is to do with the driver monitoring and how easily that's actually fooled. And and what they've essentially done is made the reminders or warnings occur quicker and more often. And apparently they have increased the font size of the text that tells you to get your hands back on the wheel and pay attention. (laughs) So uh, it doesn't, deal with the fundamental issues of the the Tesla system and there was there was previously reports that there are hidden elements that means you can use the software without being nagged uh, and that sort of thing so that's all really brilliant and it doesn't deal with the fundamental problem uh, that is with autopilot uh, and with a lot of these uh, driver assistance technologies is they don't work as well as we are led to believe or hope they will as drivers. I'm going to link to two articles. One is an electrive explaining exactly what's going on with the recall. That's not happening in uh, the UK or Europe, by the way, because apparently, according to the Dutch safety regulator, what autopilot will do in Europe and the UK is not the same as in the US. We have stricter rules, so we don't allow it to do certain things which means we don't need this update, apparently. Uh, I'm not convinced by that, but whatever. But as I say, there's going to be two articles. There's going to be a Let Drive one that explains this, but there is also going to be a Rolling Stone article that is written by Ed Niedermeyer, who long-term listeners will know we have mentioned many times and who was, has been on Rearview when that was still a thing. Uh, and he goes and explains the... Uh, just the history of all this and how whilst this is a it is good that it's getting an update it's just it's not enough it's very very little and it's way way too late effectively talking of companies having problems with software let's go to VW and their latest announcement of how they will cut costs (laughs) well actually the cutting costs now is instead of them slashing jobs and it's at Cariad. And following the announcement that they were going to have to cut jobs because they were hemorrhaging money and it was too expensive, uh, and it's all part of the Volkswagen Group CEO, Oliver Bloom's drive for them to be more efficient and to reduce costs because they're, well, they still have 30 billion plus of costs due to Dieselgate in the last couple of years. They've had the pandemic issues. They are losing market share in the biggest global market in China, hand over fist. Audi and Porsche are having trouble because of internal problems with software and things. So there's Bloom is in charge of an awful lot of fires at the moment that he's trying to put out or at least keep under control. 
and one of those is Cariad, and they have messed up projects, which has meant that Porsche's gone to talk to Google for software. Uh, Audi has not released vehicles on time, and they're talking again of slowing down when they are released next year. It's a massive thing. One of the things was going to be, right, we've got to cut costs um, as quickly as possible, so that requires people to lose their jobs. Obviously, they wanted it through uh, voluntary redundancies, but with senior management discussing this with the unions, they've actually come to an agreement that they will cut costs by 20% until uh, 2028, and that's to try and help avert those compulsory layoffs. 20% is an awful lot when you are already under the cosh and you are behind on things. Oh, yeah. It's just mess after mess at the moment, and I can't see them quickly getting out of it or easily. It's good that people aren't going to lose their jobs. That's that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but oh, I, I struggle to see that ending well. I have to say, I'm going to stick in the EU, but it is connected with the UK because we follow these same rules. But the General Safety Regulations Two have been brought into existence now. This amalgamates some previous safety laws as well as getting them up to speed with the UN mandates that all these rules are trying to align with. And these are the safety features that are fitted to all cars, including making it clear which of these are mandated as must be fitted as standard. But obviously, the more technology you throw on a car, the more expensive they become, which puts the pressure on particularly smaller vehicles with who have a smaller margin of profit in them, just by the very nature of those markets. And as we'll see when we get into new new car news, it does have an impact going forward on several cars. I, I'm just going to do is an early list of the week, actually. I'm going to run through some of the tech that must be standard on all new cars, and that's uh, advanced emergency braking, alcohol interlock, although that one's sort of a grey one at the moment. There's a provision for this, waiting for reliable sensor to, to be developed. And this is something that I said many times when this was talked about, is there isn't anything that actually works for this that will reliably say that somebody is impaired due to alcohol or not. You got shot down for that if you you said that, but it turns out, oh, look, it's true. Even the regulators know that. Uh, There's going to be driver drowsiness and distraction detection. Uh, That one causes me much worry. Uh, I think the car industry is going to be at risk of a lot of legal issues, it's going to cost them a fortune to calibrate it. I just don't see that technology working reliably. There's also going to be black boxes fitted, emergency lane keeping systems, which we all know are absolutely atrocious, particularly in the UK, particularly with our glorious roads, let alone different weather conditions, as well as intelligent speed assistance, oh God, which is is meant to warn the driver of the speed limit and in the future could overrule the driver if we are speeding 
or thought to be speeding. Those systems are horrific, absolutely horrific. And you speak to any of the people or the journalists who test lots of new cards, they will say the same thing. It's dreadful. And uh, it's interesting in this article because it is they do speak to somebody from uh, Ford, I think it is, talking about... Yes, they talked to Dowie Cunningham. He, he was basically saying there's no uh, surprises in what was included because it's a lot of what NCAP have demanded. Cunningham did talk about the um, intelligent speed assistance warning system and its reliability. Now, I have never been in a car, a new car, when I've been testing it, that has done better than 50% on sign recognition. And it's interesting here because it goes on to say many countries' road signs are badly maintained, absent, and difficult to detect. Now, that may be true and is in certain areas, but also when they are absolutely crystal clear, the systems don't detect them well either. But it's an interesting article and it I would thoroughly encourage you to click the link in the show notes to read what Julian Rendell has written in Autocar. Talking of safety, Fiona Hislop, the Transport Minister for Scotland, has announced that the Scottish Government is to roll out 20 mile an hour limits in all, and I'm quoting here, appropriate roads by 2025. And that's all part of their road safety strategy. Uh, it will probably be similar to the Welsh implementation where many urban roads will be reduced to 20 mile an hour, but not all. Uh, and that's what I think gets lost. Or the last time I was on social media was completely lost, was how it isn't all roads, even though that was how it was marketed. And uh, it is interesting that all this is being done because I was reading a uh, research that only came out recently looking at how 20 mile an hour does not actually, if reducing speed limits to 20 mile an hour doesn't do anything to reduce the number of collisions or incidents between vehicles and pedestrians. And it also implied that there wasn't a reduction in injuries either. But I need to read that research more fully before bringing that to your attention properly. As we know, by going slower, you reduce the risk of death and serious injury. We all know that. It's very obvious so that this should not be a contentious issue, even though it has been made one. As long as it is implemented where it is required, then nobody has should have any problem or should be complaining at all about this. Making it safe for all people on roads or near roads should be a no-brainer, and if you don't think we should do that, then you're not a very nice human being. But again, it is how it's implemented and how it's done. I'm now going to take us to Greater Manchester, and in a move I am glad I was sitting down when I read the news, Andy Burnham, who is the region's mayor, has said that they have gone to the government to say we do not wish to bring in a clean air zone charge. We actually wish to invest in clean air technology because that will bring about cleaner air much quicker. So they're talking about spending uh, quite a lot of money on electric buses, taxi upgrades, traffic measures, and this would all get the region 
within the legal limits by uh, a 2026 deadline. The government have yet to respond to this. And he said that the only way that they are going to hit their 2026 target is by an investment-led plan rather than a charging one. Now, this is completely opposite to what most other places are doing, uh, except uh, a couple of cities in Scotland where they are just banning outright certain vehicles that do not meet the minimum standards, which I totally understand. See, I have no problem with if you are saying air must be clean, therefore you you are not allowed to bring that vehicle in. Anything else like, oh, I don't know, London, that's just a tax. It's just a tax. That's all it is. And the, the rich people don't care and the poor people are screwed over. That's all it is. So it'd be interesting to see whether the government actually does approve this. Tied into this, and uh, perhaps I'm being a, a smidgen cynical, there is an election in May next year for the mayor of the region. And the Conservative candidate has said that he will be removing all clean hair zone cameras uh, if he gets voted in. What needs to be remembered is the Manchester region one was never, ever, ever going to charge private drivers. It was only at uh, commercial vehicles, light commercial vehicles and taxis. That was the they were the only groups that were going to be targeted with being cleaner. This is interesting that he's now switched to no, we just we need money to get those same sectors up to speed much quicker. We will definitely be keeping an eye on this because if this happens and it works, then that sets precedence for elsewhere in the country and rather nukes the arguments to charge people. Okay, I'm going to stick with technology to do with electric vehicles. And this is the Chalmers University of Sweden, which has been doing research into the potential of sodium batteries as an alternative to lithium ones. And they have concluded that over a full life cycle, they were much better than the lithium ion batteries, especially regarding sourcing. Sodium is, according to the Chalmers team, a very common substance. One of the terms used is abundance, and it means that one would not need to mine for this material, uh, and it isn't scarce, and it isn't controlled, or there isn't large deposits of it in one or two countries who then can control the supply. And that means that there is less environmental impact. This is research at a university, and they are looking and they are comparing it to large-scale production of lithium-ion Uh, But it is a paper exercise um, that that isn't to say that there are lots of large-scale sodium EV batteries out there at this moment in time. Northvolt is one company that is looking at the sodium-ion battery development, and they've revealed some cells on that. So it's going to be interesting whether this, uh, this gets pursued and is seen as the the way that it goes forward what it doesn't say in this report or this article that's linked in the show notes is how they compare in terms of holding charges charging up speeds how they last over their lifetime because we as we know the lithium ion ones last much longer than people were anticipating as long as there's no damage to the cells the findings are encouraging because it is not something that means we are openly talking about mining the seabed to get the minerals, for crying out loud, which is just nuts beyond belief that anyone thinks that's acceptable. 
Sticking with electric, I mean, it's, it's pretty much all electric this this week, actually, uh, and then it, it will be moving forward for the years to come. But the German company Quello are now going to install 70 EV charging points, uh, on-street charging points, um, after winning a bid with Essex County Council. They've done some charging points in City of London corporate locations in their car parks near the Square Mile. But the on-street ones, instead of tying into lampposts, they are actually a charger first with a lamppost or a light on the top. The, the principle's the same, but they're just coming at it from a different angle. And these will run at 22 kilowatts. Uh, they'll also be 11 kilowatts, and they'll have uh, three-phase Type 2 plugs, seven-meter cables, Another good step, and we need more of these. I love the idea that they've got lights on the top as well. Uh, anything that helps light them up, light the streets, because the streets at the moment are so dark. The light, lighting in British streets is awful at the moment. Moving on to other charges, and if you happen to be near Market Harbour, you'll notice that somebody's been going around and cutting the Osprey charging cables. We don't know whether that is someone who is an anti-EV loon and has decided to attack them, or whether, and this is more likely, really, they've cut them because they've got a lot of metal in them and they are selling the metal on. The Roebuck Pop off Rockingham Road has uh, now been damaged. The the three charges there are all out of commission. The police have apparently, because uh, this happened across uh, several Osprey uh, charging points, as well as other operators, and one person has been arrested, but there's no further details on that. So, uh, yeah, that's hopefully that is not a thing that occurs now, particularly if it's a loon, because that's just stupid. Talking of criminals, though, there is a warning in uh, Gloucestershire over using QR codes if you are in a car park and you see one attached or stuck on a car parking machine. Don't use them. I cannot stand QR codes. They have the ability to hide so much malicious, nasty, horrible stuff in them. It's ridiculous. How it's become a usable technology is just beyond me. It's just the stupidity of it is ridiculous. But irrespective of that, if you are in Cheltenham and the clock or the Cotswolds, the Cotswold District Council said that they've removed these, but just don't use if you see a QR code, don't use it. Go either well either use the credit or debit card at the machine or go to pay by phone app uh, or visit the website directly on the phone browser it's amazing isn't it one way to uh, get around all of that is to have machines that take actual cold hard cash and then you wouldn't be excluding people either but hey no unintended consequences i think it's the year of unintended consequences isn't it they're all really coming home to roost oh anyway that Marathon of highly charged news ha <sighs> means that we are now at guilt minute, and that is the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live normally. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand that, particularly at this time of year, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. 
if you've done all that, or even if you haven't, and we know that so many of you do, thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. New New Car News. And this is one I'm actually very interested in. There is a revised Citroen e-Berlingo, and they have boosted the range to 199 miles with a bigger battery and a more efficient motor. It's got the new Citroen face, which is what was on the EC3 that I was quite disparaging about a few weeks ago. I couldn't spot what made it Citroen-y apart from the badge, and I have to say... I don't see what makes it citrony on the eBerlingo. Uh, it's not very distinctive. I don't know whether they're going through a let's dial down our potential madness or slightly out there looks phase uh, as they did in the early 2000s, um, which is a bit depressing. But ignoring the front end, because it is really only the front end that's got a, a makeover, uh, the inside is still as practical as ever. So there's three proper adult size seats across the back. Up front is the usual Berlingo interior uh, and dashboard with everything that would be recognisable to anybody who's driven a, a Citroen in the last four or five years. Excellent bit of kit. As we know, friend of the show uh, and occasional presenter who steps in to help out so kindly. Alex Grant has used his own hard-earned cash to get the current generation e-Berlingo, uh, and he loves it and he hauls his family around in it, and they cope with it well, because he really knows what he's doing. Even though that the current range is 174 miles, you know, that's not the greatest when you come into usable. It's, what, 160, 150, depending on how you drive it. With the visual revamp, they are improving their technology underneath as well. That's excellent to see, and um, I will be badgering Citroen when this comes out to uh, give this a, a go and try it out and see how it is because I can put it up against my actual internal combustion engine Berlingo. Continuing the theme of practicality, Taxi Maker, the London electric vehicle company, has revealed an eight-seat luxury MPV. This is named the L380 EV, which is named after the uh, largest airliner, and it's going to be sold globally from 2024. It's made in China at the moment. Uh, there will also be a super luxury six-seater one, very much along the lines of the Lexus that we were talking about and the Volvo one that we were again talking about recently. There's not that many details come out yet, and we don't know if it's going to come to the UK either, although they have confirmed it is markets outside China, as I said. It looks like one of the more interesting sectors that's building up for EVs is the MPV, and if the MPV is coming back, I, that's partly, I think, because of the hatred and the increasingly vocal anger at SUVs, and sorry, Alan, to annoy you there, because all SUVs are equal, as you know, and I know you love that, but this is a more acceptable face of trying to do very similar things. I think. Um, still, they're massive. <laughs> they are still big because uh, you can't get around that. But that's what happens if you wish to take many people and their stuff around. But I'm interested in this one. I, hopefully, it does come to the UK. It'll be interesting to know what the prices are going to be as well. I presume it's going to be close to the Lexus one. 
Okay, rounding out new new car news, we go to old car dead news. And as I was talking about with the General Safety Rules 2, or Regulations 2, there are unintended consequences. And one of those is that the Renault Zoe is going to be taken off sale after 11 years. And it has sold nearly 400,000 examples across Europe. Now, Renault are trying to say that it is making way for the retro Renault 5, but one of their senior product bosses did say that to get the Zoe to comply with the new GSR2 safety standards, it would going to cost an awful lot to do that. And don't forget, in a recent NCAP, Renault removed a couple of airbags and got panned by NCAP for that and very poor safety ratings as a consequence which then incurred a backlash from the motoring press to say the structure of the vehicle hasn't changed. It's just some parts of the tech, because there was also technology wasn't involved as well. I mean, this has been a stalwart, and there's lots of people who are very happy with their Renault Zoes. Uh, I know uh, a person close to me uh, has had one, and they've just recently swapped to a, another small EV that they do not rate at all in comparison to the Zoe. So even though it's been on the market for 11 years, it still does a very, very good job at what it's meant to do. Um, so that's a shame. But it, we're all waiting to see the Renault 5 and how that's going to perform and cost and all the rest of it. I will now take us on to points of interest. And I will start with the lunchtime read. And it is another from Matteo Licata, again from Haggerty. And, well, because it's we're rounding out the year now, I want to hark back to the... Japan Mobility Show, because that really was one of the few bright sparks I feel of this year, um, particularly in terms of new vehicles. Even though there were some real duds in there, there was some bright sparks and the MX-5 replacement, or well, <laughs> the Ionic SP concept, so that everybody said, no, that's the MX-5, including Mazda hinted at that heavily. The article he's written is, if the next Miata looks half as good as this concept, I can't wait. Now, he's somebody who has bought one, an MX-5 in the past, and this is a wonderful article pointing out some of the delicious details. And I'm, I'm still adamant this is such a sophisticated design in comparison to so many more today. It is elegant and grown up. It's not a childish thing, and I love it. I hope they make it as close to this as possible. I cannot wait to try an electric version of this and see what see how they make that step. This is a, a lovely article from somebody who we like to recommend a lot because he creates a lot of excellent content. So do enjoy that lunchtime read. But in the meantime, I have to move on to List of the Week. And it's from Top Gear and it is called Here Are 42 of the World's Best Police Cars Over the Years. Now there are some absolute stunners in here. There's obviously the Dubai police force feature heavily, <laughs> as you would expect. Uh, however, I am going to pick one from Japan, and I'm going to pick the Japanese police Lexus LC500. One, because I still think that's one of the best-looking cars on the road today, and I just love the uh, Japanese police livery as well. That is fabulous. I could have picked at least 25, 30 here. Um, there's others in here that remind me as though I was playing on Need for Speed or something, but it's absolutely wonderful. Do have a run through that list, and don't forget to let us know uh, on social media, which we'll tell you how to do at the end of the show, 
which of these cars you would prefer to get nicked by <laughs> when you've run through the list. That leaves me with the and finally, and it is congratulations to the husband and wife adventuring team of Chris and Julie Ramsey, who are the first people to have driven a car from pole to pole. It has taken them 10 months, and not only is it the first car, but they did it in an electric Nissan Aria, and they travelled 18,600 miles. It is apparently standard underpinnings apart from Arctic trucks made some modifications so they could put 39-inch BF Goodrich off-road tyres on, and wow, does it not look so much better for it. <laughs> yes, congratulations, brilliant effort, amazing to do that. Obviously, more stories of this will come out in time when they get back to Britain, and I am sure we will link to more stuff about this because that is one heck of an achievement. Congratulations to them, that's a brilliant achievement, and it's an amazing achievement for an electric vehicle as well. I mean, that is absolutely superb. Oh, I do have one additional and finally. The 2024 Festival of the Unexceptional Tickets are now on sale. There is a link in the show notes to a Haggerty article all about this. And in that article is a link to you going off and purchasing your tickets. It's £35 per car. This is the 10th year anniversary. There will be exclusive merchandise, which will be sent out in time for everyone to wear there. It is going to open at. 7.30, everybody can get in and park up earlier and allow everybody more time to not sit in queues and be able to actually go around and chat to friends and see all the cars that are going to be out there. I think that's going to be another one because it's the 20... Did I say what the date was? I think I did, but if I didn't, and I will again, it is Saturday the 27th of July. It's going to be held at Grimsthorpe Castle in Lincolnshire. I don't think I can make that again. That is such a pain. Uh, I will try, though. Really try. Everyone who's interested in that, get on it now. Get your tickets now. Wonderful event. Love seeing all the photos from that and all the people enjoying it. Only a couple of parish notes then to round out this episode, and that is to say that next week, Al and I won't be uh, on the show. We're with a new show because, one, it's Christmas, so there won't be any news, and two, we need a break ourselves as well. There is a special edition we've recorded, and it's Alan talking us through his latest car. Yeah, okay. I know he's had it a while, but we haven't released the episode where he tells me and you all about it and why he did it and everything else to do with it. That's one for you to enjoy. We will be back in the first week of January where we're going to do a bit of a roundup of 2023. And depending on how much news has come out between this episode and then... We might also do some predictions for 2024 because we haven't done those for, uh, we didn't do them last year. We didn't get a chance. We might bring that back, uh, which would be nice so we can see how badly we are on these. And then all that leaves me to do is to wish you, the listener, uh, a very happy Christmas if you celebrate it. Uh, Alan and I really hope that you have a lovely new year and you have a nice break and you come back refreshed all ready to hear us witter on about new car registrations and the likes from early January onwards. That just leaves me to say that don't forget between now and whenever you wish, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. 
And you can get in touch with us on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Alan can be got in touch with, I think it's Blue Sky, it's Twitter, it's occasionally Mastodon if he remembers that it's there. And you need to look for him at, at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. And if you want to get in touch with me, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon and you'll find me there. We'll be back soon, but until then, he's not been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues and safe motoring. <laughs>